Hey there, language lovers. I'm Shannon Kennedy, co-host of the Language Hacking Podcast, along with Benny Lewis. In this episode, we are chatting with Luca Lampariello, well-known polyglot and language coach. In this episode of the podcast, we discuss how languages can change your life, on learning useful versus useless languages, going into language learning when coming from a technical background, breaking limiting beliefs, common mental blocks and limiting beliefs for language learners and how to overcome them, bidirectional translation, the most important thing when knowing another language, and how to juggle 14 languages. So if you enjoy the podcast, we would love it if you left us a review. It helps other language learners find us, and it lets us know what you enjoy most about the Language Hacking Podcast. You can do so at languagehacking.com slash review. Now let's get on to our interview with Luca. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 47. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm really excited for our guest today. I'm, of course, joined as always by my co-host, Shannon, and we are interviewing Luca Lampariello. And Luca is a, an iconic member of the uh, Polyglot community, and uh, you would have recognized him from videos he's been uploading to YouTube for a very long time. He is a, a language coach, and he does a lot of things uh, to encourage language learners. And I really wanted to share his story with everybody today. So thank you, Lucas, so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. And thanks for the lovely presentation and the introduction, Benny. Yeah, of course. So I want to dive into so many aspects of your story. But first, I want to hear your own perspective on what sparked your interest in languages as you were growing up. And how did that uh, evolve with time? It's a very good question. Um, I, at the beginning, I thought I was a language buff, right? I always told myself, you know, I've been learning languages uh, as, as, I think, since I was 12 or something like that. But then uh, by digging in, I just figured out that the reason why I've been learning so many languages is because fundamentally, um, I, I have to thank my grandmother and I have to thank my family because they instilled this um, thirst for knowledge. Like even to this day, I wake up every day at maybe five or six o'clock in the morning with this thirst of knowledge, this curiosity. Um, so I think that the reason that pushes me uh, forward learning, sometimes you get the question, why do you learn so many languages? You just, you know, need, some people think that you just need to speak English or a couple of other languages to, to live uh, a full life. Um, and I do agree that you do not need to speak 14, 15 or 20 languages, but every language that I've learned has proven to be, has proven to, uh, to be something that I have treasured to this day. There is no language that is useless to learn. It, there always will come a time when sooner or later we're going to use that language. And I think that with every language that you learn, you enrich your life in so many ways. So that's what pushes me all. It's not just languages in general. It's just my, my thirst for knowledge. You know, I, you, people maybe can, they cannot see what is behind me, but all these books are not just about, these are not about language learning. These are just about, uh, anything, you know, anything and everything. So um, when people ask, ask me in general, what, why is it that you learn so many languages? I always say it's because I want to make my life better. 
you know, with every language that I learned, with every piece of knowledge or piece of experience that you learn, uh, you change your life, you change your brain and you change the perspective that you have towards your life. And it's an amazing feeling, you know, um, it's just great. That's why I keep learning. It's, it's just like I'm addicted to learning new things. So you mentioned just now that there's no useless language to learn that at some point you're going to use every single language that you've studied. And I think one of the things that a lot of language learners hear, like, especially for me with Croatian, it's like, why learn Croatian? Nobody speaks Croatian. When are you ever going to use Croatian? Have you even been to Croatia? So how do you combat some of those sort of comments about the choices that you make as a language learner? Well, I don't combat them. I just, it's not that I ignore them, but I think everybody is entitled to their opinion. If you think, for example, this is exactly what happened when I was learning Hungarian. Uh, my uncle, who knows my passion for language, and he asked me, why the heck are you learning Hungarian? Like, is it so difficult? Nobody speaks it. I said, are you sure, uncle? It's just, you know, there's 10 million people and they all, maybe they all live in Hungary. But um, I, I happen to go to Hungary quite uh, often. So and even if there were only two people who spoke that language, but you met those two people and you engaged, engaged in, in uh, interesting conversations with them, it would be worth it. You know, that's the reason why there are endangered languages. There are languages that are dying, true. But m most European languages or a lot of languages that we tend to learn or I tend to learn for that matter are languages that, you know, there's millions of people who speak it and with whom you can potentially um, talk. So, you know, again, everybody's entitled to their opinion, but I cherish my own opinion and what I think about my life. I never let uh, other people's voices drown my own inner voice. If there's something like my inner voice is telling me do that, then, then by all means you should do it. So, so many times it happened to all of us that uh, your family or your your uh, community members uh, or your friends are telling you what is best for you. But do they really know what is best for you? Do they really know that creation, the learning creation is a bad choice? Who who says that? If you feel like doing like learning creation, you should by all means you first you should you should uh, go for it, and second. Again, you should tell them, whoever tells you that, well, there's a lot of people who speak Croatian there. They might all live in Croatia, but, you know, it's it's definitely worth it. And uh, so I never let people dictate what is what is difficult, what is what is what the language that I'm supposed to learn. And I just I just learned to think with, on, you know, think outside of the box and with my own head without letting society drown uh, my opinions, you know, and this is a very important point. I, I still remember Steve Jobs said that, you know, the Stanford at the Stanford uh, University said that don't let the, the, the other people's voices drown your inner voice. You have to choose what you what you think is good for you. And this is something that, um, you know, resonated with me because uh, as much as my my father loved me, he had this typical, I don't know about the United States and I don't know about Ireland, but, you know, in Italy, typically your parents, especially my father, wanted me to be an engineer. And I, I felt that I didn't want to be an engineer. I, I, I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I love mathematics. I love physics. I have a degree in engineering, but I felt that at a certain point in my life, I just told myself, you know what? This is not for me sitting in a laboratory, doing physics, doing mathematics. I want to travel the world. I want to talk to people. I want to know, get to know other cultures. So, um, so on the one hand, I had this kind of 
um, you know, voice telling me, you're not doing what your father or what your parents want you to do. And the other voice was telling me, so what? You're doing what you love. You know, that, that, that really made a difference. And back in the day, I was a little bit hesitant. But then looking back, I just realized I made the right choice because I was following my heart instead of following my head. There's always this rational part of your brain telling you, you know, this narrative, the story that we all have that you might, you know, just disappoint other people. But then at the end of the day, if you, if you end up disappointing them, I think that the biggest disappointment is if you disappoint yourself and you choose a path that others have laid out for you instead of just following your heart. It might sound trivial, but at the end of the day, at the ripe age of 40, I just realized that this is absolutely true in my case, and it's absolutely true for in other people's lives. You know, And I think you know, uh, Benny is also an engineer, and Benny has also followed a different path. So we have a very different, very similar path in this regard, you know, made similar choices. Yeah, and I was actually going to ask you about that because... Um, uh, Fortunately for me, I didn't feel pressure necessarily to get into engineering, but I had this mindset that I was good at mathematics and I was good at um, scientific uh, like subjects in school. So I presumed that there's some kind of a left brain, right brain thing going on and you're either good at technical things or you're good at languages and it, you can't be both. And of course, I've, uh, like yourself, I followed my, my heart and my dreams to travel the world and I changed that perspective. But coming from that same background as me, and I, I can relate to you a lot because of this, there's a lot, a lot of polyglots um, that we interact with uh, through the YouTube community and such, but very few of them have such a similar background as you and I do coming from engineering. So one thing that I have to do uh, a lot is I have to communicate with other people in technical backgrounds to inspire them to get into languages. So I'd be very curious to hear, like, what kind of things do you say to people who have a similar background to you and me, where we're, we're tech guys and we've, we're good with mathematics and science and we just presumed we're not good at languages? Like, what do you say to those people? I tend to say that the following, not only to, to the tech guys, but also to uh, everybody, everybody who happens to be on my path. And I tell them, look, when it comes to language learning, if you speak your own native language, as trivial as it may sound, you can learn any other language. I've done it before. Other people have done it before. That's the first thing. The second thing is that I've realized that the power of the brain, when, you know, they throw these sentences out there, you believe they're just stereotypes. Oh, we can do everything. We're just using 10% of our brain or 5% for that matter. We don't know. doesn't matter. But the reality is that if you know how to learn things, nowadays we live in this area, era where we have uh, access to all sorts of possible pieces of information, one just one click away. But what people lack is actually how to do things. And um, I remember, this is an, another interesting episode from my life, always with my father. I remember that the second exam that I, I was at university and I just uh, came back home despondent. I was dejected, despondent, and, and very sad because I tried to pass my, it was general physics, kind of difficult exam. It was at the beginning of my uh, career at university. And I remember that I showed, you know, the, the paper, the exam to my father and my father who happened to be a very good mathematician, uh, especially he was especially good in mathematics, even if he was an engineer, he said, look, I just 
think about it. In a, you, he just taught me to look at the exam, to look especially at one exercise of the exam in a, from a different perspective. He gave me, he didn't give me the solution. He just told me, think, of, just think. And I realized the, the, the solution in a matter of minutes. So the solution was inside of me. It's just I realized that I did not have the know-how. I, nobody taught me uh, how to do things. Uh, we don't get this, at least in Italy. I've heard that in across the, you know, the entire globe, with a few uh, exceptions, like in Finland, for example, they don't teach you to do stuff at school. So basically, uh, you can do anything if you learn how to how to do stuff. And language learning is no exception. And when people say, um, you know, I'm a tech guy, are you? Are you like? Are you okay? You're a tech guy. Are you sure that you can't learn a language? Are you sure that you can't uh, learn to draw? This is another typical uh, bias that we have. I'm not good at this. My my memory uh, is not good. And you, I always tell, look at the way, just be aware of the way you talk to yourself, because the language you use is a reflection of your thoughts and reflection of your convictions. These are all, there are so many limiting beliefs in life. You know, when you, when you start doing some experiences, like when you, when you live some experiences and you look back and you thought, oh, this is what I thought, like, like everybody else thought. And now that I lived it, I realized this is just, you know, this BS, pardon my French, but um, that's, that's how it works when you have to experience things. And, uh, so I always tell my students or people on YouTube, I tell them, look, you have to learn how to do things. You try that once you, once you do it, you will realize that you're much, much better than you thought. Sure. There are people who have talent, who have a knack for languages, for mathematics. I don't demand that I'm going to run like Usain Bolt or, uh, think, you know, elaborate, uh, stuff like Goethe or, uh, be as good in, in, at math as um you know einstein even if he was not that good in math as they say but just to get the just to get the idea uh i think uh your limiting beliefs first think about the way you talk and second question your beliefs because uh your life depends on your beliefs you sometimes may not sometimes all the time our life is in a box and we are not aware that it's in a box that's why thinking outside the box is such a, a good expression because once you once you realize the potential that you have, that you have, that I have, uh, you know, that Shannon has, that everybody has, then you know you you can do amazing things. And it's not you know amazing in and of itself. It's just that we have an amazing amazing brain, an, an amazing thing floating in our skull. You know, we just need to use to learn how to use it. So when people say, "Oh, you speak fourteen languages," oh my God, this is amazing. I say, "No, this is not amazing. This is work." It's work is just passion, work, and it's done for a long period of time. I know it doesn't sound as, as as magical and as interesting, but that's how, uh, you know, that's that's what it takes. A little bit of sweat and blood, a little bit, but there's a lot of rewards along the path. I think one of the things that's interesting is that the three of us were all on completely different trajectories before we ended up in languages as kind of our career path. So what took you like what specifically took you off of the engineer career path and shifted you over to the language career path? One email. So uh, in 2010, I was already thinking, you know, having so many thoughts about second thoughts about the uh, where I wanted to go. And I had at the end of university, I had just finished university and um, I had to choose whether to go to France, to Paris or to go to California for a PhD. And uh, the reason why uh, I, I had these two options is because my uh, ex-girlfriend, you know, at the time she was French and she told me, hey, if, if, if 
you know, that was not her fault, but she said, I had to choose basically between love and work, love and career or whatever. And I, and I, and I opted for love. Paris, the city of lights. I said, you know what? I already, to tell you the truth, I was not convinced to do this PhD anyway. And so I just, uh, I found myself in Paris, this sixth floor. I still remember very, very small, you know, Chambre de Bonne, it's called in, in French. So, you know, these like the, the top, these very small rooms with my girlfriend. And I remember it was December. Um, it was snowing and I was telling myself, what the heck am I doing here? What am I doing with my life? I'm pretty sure that everybody has uh, sometimes wondered what they're doing with their lives, you know? And that was the moment for me. I was just, what am I doing? And then I got an email. I got an email from a, Hung- a Hungarian guy who just uh, asked me, you just told me, you know, I want to premise this that I had made, I had published my first YouTube video two years prior, 2008. This was late uh, December, 20, uh, 2010. And he asked me, um, can I, can you be my teacher, my time teacher? I said, sure. You know, just like, okay. That, that was the moment, the spark I was waiting for, you know, somewhere destiny, God, destiny, whatever, whatever. And then when I got this email, I just told myself, okay, just started uh, giving my first lesson as a language coach. I was not sure. I still remember that I was a little bit, this This also, you know, it's, it's funny that I was in, a little bit insecure. I didn't know exactly how am I going to do this? I had never done this before. And I said, just trust, trust yourself. Just, just do it. You know, sometimes you just have to do what people think. Sometimes what we tend to think too much or talk too much about it, it's because we don't want to do stuff. Just charge it. Just do it. I know. I know it sounds trivial, but that's the way it works. So I started doing that. And then I started giving interviews. I remember around the internet saying that I was a language coach and more and more people were flocking to my website and they wanted to, you know, they wanted to, get, to take lessons and then it took off. So I just, you know, just told myself I'm going to be a language coach and then let's see what happens. So basically at a moment where of uncertainty, where I was not sure what, which direction my life would take, um, I just needed a little gentle push that came from from the internet, you know, from Hungary. So uh, I have to, um, I have to thank Donut, that's his name, Donut, uh, for writing me this email because, you know, uh, he didn't know what he was doing at that, but he was spawning this <laughs> language monster, this language coach career uh, that I, I'm still, I'm still a language coach. And I think I'm going to be a language coach for a long time, you know? So that's how, that's how it all changed some 11 years ago, 10, 11 years ago. So you've been a language coach for a good 11 years and you've obviously helped a lot of people to learn languages. So what do you find are the mental roadblocks that tend to come up the most frequently and how do you uh, help people to overcome them? I think that uh, the the biggest mental block is, as I said before, is that people don't believe they can make it. One of the one of the things that really make a difference between people who are successful and people who are not, is that the people, some people who have never learned a language before, they continually ask, "When am I going to get there? When am I going to get there?" It's a very typical question that they're insecure about it because they've never done it before, and uh, I completely understand that. So that's that's the first thing. They don't believe that they can make they can make it. This is the first uh, thing. The second thing that they don't believe they're good enough. This is a, another huge mental block. I believe that it's 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 big. You know, they they just think I'm I'm not good enough. I'm, I don't have a good memory. I I'm not good at pronouncing words or pronunciation. You know, in general, or I'm not good at talking. So these are all self this negative self talk. And the third thing, um, I think that a lot of people do not know how to learn. You know, they simply do not learn to this day, 2021, we have a lot of uh, information about learning how to learn, but 
a lot of people don't just uh, don't, don't delve into it. They just think, okay, I, I'm just trying to learn a language. Uh, and they, I think, unfortunately, I hate to say this, but a lot of limiting beliefs that come from the education system. You know, at the at school we have we have unlearned to use language for meaningful communication. We just don't use language anymore. If you think about it, for communicating with other peers. But what we do is that we we are just like very anxious about performing. This is always in people's head, performing. They don't think about the, uh, you know, the act of communicating. They constantly think about whether they're doing well or not, even in front of a tutor, you know. And another mental block is that they think that um, the teacher has to teach them. This is a very limiting belief. Oh, the teacher is going to do all the work and I don't have to do the work. And even when they, for example, they go to these big um, platforms where they can hire a tutor, they let the tutor decide what they're going to focus on instead of uh, taking initiative and just deciding in advance what they're going to talk about. So there's a lot of, there's a mix of limiting beliefs and also uh, I would say self-sabotage, unconscious, unconscious self-sabotage because we, we all inherit this way of seeing language learning as a subject that we, we study at school rather than a skill. The entire education system dates back to 200 years ago. The industrial revolution has never changed or has changed a little bit. And a lot of those people who should change the system, they haven't quite realized the revolution that the internet has brought about. You know, in the last 20, 30 years, people have completely changed the way they, they learn and school and the education system is lagging behind. To this day, I have a lot of people, American students, Italians from the UK, who constantly complain, they go to university, they constantly complain, they say, how is it possible, especially Americans, how is it possible that we're learning Russian or German uh, this way? Like with grammar, they give us a grammar book and then we just have to read grammar and speaking in English about the German language, which is preposterous, I'd say, given the, the, the amount of tools and possibilities we have nowadays. So it's a mix of limiting beliefs, but also uh, not very good um, learning methods because they, uh, not all of them, but a lot of people do not know how to use the harness, the power of the brain to basically learn more efficiently. So how do you like, overcome these roadblocks like what do you do to become a better learner and what do you do to you know stop letting some of these limiting self-beliefs get in your own way so if you're if you're talking how i've done it or are you talking about how i've done it or are you talking about how i teach my students to overcome the roadblocks both <laughs> oh right <laughs> right so uh well mm, I just realized that I was I was lucky enough because at the age of 15, I started experimenting. So I had learned English and French when I was at the age of 12. I started middle school learning French and English, and then I had a private tutor. My parents hired a private tutor. So these languages I've learned by, you know, I was relatively young and I started speaking the languages at a relatively young age. But the first time that I started learning a language by myself, that was a critical moment, a breakthrough moment where I told myself, okay, I'm on my own. How am I going to learn a language by myself? I found out a method that works for me. I, it's my method. It's a bidirectional translation method. I started using this, uh, this method and I started applying it uh, to learn, to start learning a lot of languages. Now, what happened with time is that I started, I constantly started experimenting and trying new things that uh, were 
I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that they were immediately working for me, but the thing that I retained that I retained a certain amount of curiosity and a certain amount uh, of flexibility that allowed to allow me to adapt my learning method, adapt the, you know the way I learn, and it's it's evolved with time. Uh, and uh, with time, by making YouTube videos and to explain and to teach uh, the mechanics and dynamics and the nitty gritty details of language learning, I've delved, I've dealt a lot into research, uh, second language uh, acquisition, uh, neuroscience. So I've done a lot of research into that. And in retrospect, I figured out a lot of things that I was I was doing uh, intuitively was working because that's you know, how the brain works. Okay. You, in a, they, in English, you have this beautiful expression, brain friendly way, right? In a way that is good for your brain. There are ways, just to give an example, um, to learn vocabulary. Imagine someone who takes a list, grabs a, a loose piece of paper, uh, writes, jots down on 100 words and repeats them over and over in the hope, in the vain hope they, they're going to remember. This is a not very good and brain-friendly way of, of learning. Well, another learner who, uh, for example, reads a lot of stuff and you, takes fragments of these interesting texts and uses them for conversation in a meaningful way, that's a good way of learning. So with time, I've just realized I've I've come up with a, you know, with a consistent mental framework that works for me. Uh, it's it's still a mental model, you know, but it's it works wonderfully uh, well for me. And then I every time I adapt it to the learner, everyone is different. So there are some principles that are universal, but every learner is different. If I tell um, someone, hey, uh, you can do the you can apply the bidirectional translation, but they don't like translation. They're not going to do it. No way they're going to do it. So you have to find things in, in a nutshell that ways in, in which a learner keeps enjoying the language, keeps using the language, keeps exposing your, uh, themselves to the language and understand, you know, consumes comprehensible input. And obviously you have to have some sort of spaced repetition system so that they can review the vocabulary. So I've, I've just designed this uh, infrastructure, you know, uh, language infrastructure that I have been using for a long time. And I uh, teach uh, to students who approach me. So the first thing that we do is to get rid of limiting beliefs. I always ask a bunch of questions to see uh, what they think, what their convictions are, what their story is. Um, instead, for example, of asking them, um, what level do you have? Which is kind of a, it's not a, a very good question because it doesn't be one, be two. It's a label. It doesn't give me much information. I always ask him, what have you done so far? to reach the skills to, to, to gain, to acquire the skills that you have. And, and normally when they tell, thoroughly tell their story, I start understanding why they have the gaps that they have, what they have to work on. And based on the amount of information and the quality of information that they provide, I, we can start building a very personalized path. Um, and of, of course, this path hinges on and revolves around the, you know, the principles, the, the, the universal principles of good learning. But then I adapt it to the learner because everyone is different. But in a nutshell, I train my students to learn more efficiently and, and everyone is different in a very personalized way. And, uh, and it's, it's working well. <laughs> so people are happy in general. And I'm, I'm happy that I can serve. I can serve them, you know. So one other way that I, I feel you stand out well in the polyglot community is uh, you're very good at expressing yourself in another language without having a very strong accent. 
So, you know, people listening to this would not be able to guess that you're from Italy as you're speaking to us in English. So this is something that I've seen you do in other languages that you you have a, a, a very uh, like authentic sounding accent for that language. So if somebody was coming to you and they already had uh, a pretty solid B2 intermediate um, level in the language, they were able to communicate, but their biggest worry was their accent. What kind of things do you uh, advise for people to begin trying to reduce their uh, mother tongue accent in their target language? You know, this is a, um, an interesting question and it really depends on the, on the person, where the person is on their language path. I always say that when it comes to acquiring a good accent or pronunciation, um, first, there's a couple of surprising things about the, you know, accent acquisition, whatever you want to call it. The, f- the first one is that deliberate instructions do not work as well as people think. There's a lot of courses on accent reduction, right? They call it reduce your accent. I don't believe uh, in accent reduction, meaning that you can improve your pronunciation, uh, but it's much, much more difficult in the, you know, along the, the path. If you've been speaking a language for 10 years or 15 years, it's going to be difficult to uh, fix, we can call it fix, uh, you know, reduce your accent because human beings are extremely good at learning new things, but not very good at unlearning new things. So unfortunately, if your um, speech patterns, you've been, you know, they're consolidated, it's got uh, to undo your speech patterns. It's going to be, it's going to be a mess. So you can potentially improve, for example, the pronunciation of single words. If someone points that to you, that, you know, you, oh, you've, you've made this mistake and this mistake. But then when you say a sentence, your brain is going to go back and use a resort to the standard automatism that it's a part of that is dealt with, with, you know, there's a specific part of your brain that deals with that. Uh, it's proce- it's called procedural memory. So when you say a sentence, you will most probably say it as you, you did it before, no matter how much you work on that. I, I, I know that I don't want to sound discouraging, uh, cause I always try to be helpful and I always, you know, try to tell them you, you can do anything. That's true. But the question you got to ask yourself is, is, is the game worth the candle? Is it worth putting so much work to improve a little bit? I believe that. Um, you know, I, I, I love speaking language as well. I believe that speaking uh, any language with a good pronunciation has a lot of benefits. Uh, people respect you more. Native speakers, I've had amazing experiences because of this. I made, you know, uh, friends with a lot of people in, in you know, the, the most various circumstances. But I believe that the most important things to be understood, language learning is always about communication. So I always say, if you've been speaking language for a long time and you still speak it with a very poor accent, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough to reduce your accent. You can, but it's going to be, you have to put a lot of work. On the other hand, if you start learning a language from scratch and you start putting a lot of interest in, in into the language and you start working on your pronunciation in the right way. Again, uh, a lot of people, a lot of teachers do not teach, completely disregard or neglect this aspect. Always that, the, you know, the answer you get when you ask a question, how do you, how do I get my pronunciation better? Just listen, just listen and repeat. You know, that's not enough. <laughs> it's, it's not how it works. Uh, if you, if you, if you can hire a good trainer or you can get a course online, a very good course, and there are courses out there on the internet right now, especially in American English, but in other languages as well, that teach you the mechanics of producing sounds as well as intonation, which is the other peculiar, important part of phonetics in general, then you have a chance 
um, at, uh, you know, speaking a language well. But there's another very, very important aspect that people do not talk about. We tend to focus on the aspect of learning a language with, you know, deliberate instructions, a teacher telling you what to do, oh, learn to listen, learn to focus on this tone and this tone and this tone, which is something I do. But um, Stephen Krashen, he's a very famous linguist who talks about language acquisition. He has a very interesting PDF, very short uh, PDF on the internet that you can download. And it's, I think it's the, the title is a conjecture on ac accent acquisition or something along those lines. You can easily find it if you Google it. And in three, in three or four pages, he lays out the theory of accent acquisition. And I find it brilliant. He, he says, every adult, it's counterintuitive, but I think it's true. Every adult is actually very good at pronouncing any foreign language well. It's just that they choose not to. We have a lot of mental blocks, you know? Um, so we are, if, if we can't overcome this sort of filter that we have in our mind, it's an unconscious filter, it's gonna be difficult to speak a foreign language well. Normally it has to do with belonging to a tribe. We're tribal, uh, human beings are tribal. I belong to the Italian tribe, right? He is the Amer He belongs to the American tribe. So when I started speaking English at the, uh, the ripe age of 12, my pronunciation and my fluency were both were disastrous. I remember the face of my, she was aghast, my, my teacher, uh, she, 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 I heard, I said the word enough among others. Now, I always remember this, this example, now said for enough because Italians, of course, read it as they, you know, right. So, now, of course, E N O G G G H, now, and a lot of other, uh, you know, uh, terrible things. Uh, but my, my pronunciation was, was terrible. But what happened is that my teacher was correcting me. But the desire of blending in, the desire of sounding like an American, of being like an American. I remember that I had this myth. Uh, I, I constantly looked up to, oh, I, I consumed all movies I could find and uh, books. I, I was fascinated by the United States in general. So I wanted to blend in. Even being Italian, even living in Italy, I wanted to sound like an American. And that desire is the, the thing that really pushed me towards improving my pronunciation at an unconscious, an unconscious visceral level. That's what pushed me to like every time that someone corrected my pronunciation, I just took it in stride and I tried to, to improve every single aspect of my articulation. And to this day, when people correct me and say, oh, you made a mistake or either be it intonation or pronunciation, I just jot things down and I try to improve. So I think that the, the, for example, the, the reason why I, I think I, I speak a language as well with a good accent is because of my desire of sound, of being more rather than sounding those of being of embracing another tribe. That's really what makes a difference at the end of the day. And the rest is interest and 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 practice and and you know deliberate practice and the training. But at the at the, at the bottom of the pyramid at the base, there is this um, desire of. Uh, embracing another tribe that a lot of people never really overcome. So you can, you can get as many instru instructions, deliberate instructions, as many forms of uh, good training as possible. But if something does not click in your head when it comes to really wanting to embrace another uh, culture, I wouldn't go so far as to say that nothing is going to happen, but it's going to be difficult to sound either like a, you know, like a native or getting native like pronunciation or sounding extremely good in a foreign language. 
think it's really interesting um, what you said about identity and community and how important it is in language learning. There's a really interesting book called Communities of Practice, and it's all about how we use these different identities to be a part of communities. And, uh, you know, a lot of our interests and everything stems from that. And with language learning, you know, a big motivator for a lot of people learning a language is, is to be a part of a certain community. It's like, okay, well, I'm of Italian heritage, so I want to learn Italian and I want to feel more a part of that, you know, Italian heritage community or, you know, of the Italian community. But it's, it's like kind of like the sense of belonging. So with you knowing so many languages, like how has community and identity and, you know, that using kind of that desire to fit into groups played a role in what you do? Um, a major role, I would say, because every time that I learn a language, I want to be part of a community. I just, um, you know, I, I was also thinking back when to, um, when I used to live in France, I was completely surrounded by the French language. I used to live with my girlfriend, ex-girlfriend. Then I used to live with her family and I wanted to be like a French and her parents treated me like a French. Every, I remember the, the joy they had to teach me all the nuances of the French culture. It's not just the French culture, um, I, community and the people I talk to. I, I believe that the um, fluency is a measure, the, me, the measure, I, I believe that it's not just the, the amount of words that you know, but it's the amount of experiences uh, that you live and the people you talk to. And when you speak a foreign language, we don't feel this because it's in our brain unconsciously. All the people we we talk to, all the be all the experiences, all the movies that we watched, all the podcasts that we listen to, they fire up in our brain. They live in our in our brain. It's like an entire community living in your head. The, the better you speak a language, the more you have embraced and internalized the way people um, live, the way people talk. I don't I don't see a language just merely as a um, a means of communicating. It's a means of living. For me, I take it to the next level. So when I speak American English, when I speak French, or when I speak Spanish or other languages, I am in a way externally also the way I talk, my facial um, you know features, uh, the way I talk to people, the, the experiences that I have, the, you know, the, the experiences that I look for, they're all different. And to me, community uh, and people, people have played a huge role. Um, I know that there are people, other language learners who love uh, reading literature in foreign language to each his own. I, I like talking to people. I like living experiences. I love uh, going, um, you know, visiting other countries, seeing other things, eating different sorts of foods. This also, it just takes it to the next uh, level. So for me, community, traveling, community, being, uh, embracing another culture, being someone else other than me, not being different, but be me, the, the Italian me, the, the, the American Luca, the, uh, the French Luca, they all live in my, in my body and in my mind. Uh, but it's just a, you know, a unique experience, but it's it's a holistic experience. Language learning for me is like living a better life, a richer life. And community is obviously part of that. And I've had countless experiences where, you know, when, when it comes to using the language, living the language, um, it, it has enriched my life in so many ways that I can't even, you know, start. When people say, why do you speak 14 languages? I say, because I love it, you know, because it changed my life. I, mean, some, I remember a guy said, you know, when you say that you speak 14 languages, it's a it's a very tricky question. How many languages do you speak? If you say I speak 14 languages, how do you, how should you say it? Because people tend to say, oh, this guy is bragging first. So 
you asked me, I just told you, or you have the, the people who don't believe you. And then you have those who ask you what for. They don't understand what for is it's because every language comes with every every language that you learn has, you know, you, you have experiences, people, places. Again, it's just mind blowing and it's definitely worth it. Every single minute that I spend on any any language is worth it because I know what what that entails in terms of uh, enriching my life. So in terms of the 14 languages that you've currently got, how do you maintain them in your head? Because that's another issue a lot of people who want to become polyglots would be very confused by is the mixing them up. And even with a smaller number that I'm working with, I still have those issues. So how do you uh, separate them in your head and how do you uh, constantly make sure that your levels on them are where you want them to be? I always say that the, the more languages you learn, the easier it gets to learn them on the one hand it becomes to learn them. On the other hand, the more difficult it becomes, unfortunately, to maintain languages because language maintenance can be quite messy, especially when by maintaining, you mean maintaining at a very high level or even at an intermediate level. Let me tell you this. To me, uh, and the, you know, maintaining and learning are parts of a, of a, uni- of a, a consistent global uh, framework within which I operate, let's, let's say. So when I choose to learn a, another language, I always operate within this framework of, okay, I'm going to learn a language, but what about the other languages? You know, it's just like having a, another baby. You have a family of 14 babies, the newborn the get, the gets all the attention, the other get, the other ones get jealous. So, uh, so I have made the decision of, um, having a multilingual life. Uh, without that, I would not be able to uh, to maintain um, my languages. So just to give you an example, I speak English. Um, I, I believe, I know that this sounds might sound preposterous, but I believe that in some fields, in some areas, I express myself better in English than I do in Italian because I tend to use English four or five hours every single day. Reading, writing, speaking, listening. This is because of my job. So I'm Italian. My native language is Italian. I live in Italy, so I tend to use it with my family when I go out, read a newspaper. I have designed a life uh, in which basically I, um, you know, speak a bunch of languages every day. So wake up, for example, just to give an example of how my day looks, right? This is what people ask me all the time. How does your day look like? And um I wake up, for example, and I write my journal in Italian. That's using Italian, right? And so I'm writing in Italian. I'm thinking in Italian. Uh, then I do Greek and Hungarian that are the languages that I'm actively pursuing. So every day I wake up and I do 30 minutes of Greek and 30 minutes of Hungarian. And we are three languages. Then at work, since I'm a language coach and I normally teach or coach in multiple combinations. So I've taught, for example, I've been teaching um, English or Russian to French people. So I tend to speak in French to explain stuff, but at the same time, I practice Russian uh, or German or English. So at work, I speak uh, with my team. I speak in, in English, Italian, and Spanish. And at work on, you know, coaching, uh, when I coach, I, I tend to speak uh, English, Italian, Spanish, French, German, and Russian. So they pay me to speak languages. This is the beauty of it, right? And they pay me to speak at a very high level because you have to express stuff. For example, if I am working with Russian clients, I have to explain stuff in Russian 
and and you have to look for stuff. You have to prepare the lesson, etc. So in a way, I've chosen um, you know a kind of job which allows me to speak a bunch of languages. But on top of that, I have designed um, you know a, a, a lot of habits that I have in my micro environment at home. For example, if I'm uh, cooking, I always watch the news in Russian. Just to give an example, or in French, if I take a shower with my AirPods, I always listen. I go running, and when I come back, the last ten minutes, it's always the same. It's automatic. Right now, ten minutes before I I hit home, it's in in Polish podcast in Polish, and then while taking a shower, if I don't have to wash my hair, I can I can use the AirPods, and then I get dressed. It's thirty minutes every single day of Polish. At night, I read a, I read books of astronomy, physics, and 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 history in either Russian or Polish or other languages. So let's say that for uh, also personal reasons, I tend to use, you know, personal and, you know, at, at my job, I tend to use eight languages on a weekly basis. Normally it's Italian, English, French, Spanish, German, Russian, Polish, and there's another one, uh, and I, now I can't remember. And then um, the other language that I speak less, Dutch, Swedish, um, Chinese and Japanese, these are like, and, and I think Portuguese as well. So there are four or five that are in the back burner because it's impossible to speak 14 languages every day. I, I mean, you can, but then you're going to go crazy, you know, just like, Hey, I got 44. Imagine do the math 24 hours. Let me do 30 minutes of this, 30 minutes of that. I am a language lo lover, but I'm not uh, obsessed by languages. I always believe that uh, it's great to, you know, to to speak foreign languages, to learn foreign languages, but I don't want to get so obsessed that I just, that my life revolves around languages. I want to use languages to, to have a better life. So I don't even think about it anymore. I just tend to use languages all the time uh, on a daily basis, at least eight of them. And I also tend to read a lot and listen a lot at specific times of the day and that have become automatic. And, and you know, it's, I don't know if you know this book, it's James Clear, you know, talks about this. Uh, he talks about atomic habits. It just arrived at order from, you know, um, from Poland, for example. Another thing that I do is I read books that I'm really interested in and then I buy them in, uh, in some other languages. So that I know the content, I know I'm gonna like this book and it's much easier to read. So. Basically, it's a mix of, um, let's say, choices in life, because i that's my job. The second thing is habits that I've designed so that I don't have to think about it. I replaced some things that maybe an Italian would, I don't know, watch the news in Italian. I watch them in another language. And I've designed a place, a time, and an action. And I connect these and I stack habits. So I stack habits in the morning, stack habits in the afternoon, and I stack habits at night so that, uh, you know, I also read a lot of newspapers, books, and it's a combination of these things. And even then, it's difficult to maintain all the 14 languages. So when I don't speak a language like Chinese, I haven't spoken in a long time. I, too much to my dismay, I remember that I, I, I was, you know, there was a Chinese girl who came here five years ago, six years ago. I did not even remember how to say work, to work in Chinese. I said, oh my God, I just can't remember because I haven't spoken a language in a long time. So, um, is just normal to forget languages. The only thing is that design a lot to me, if I had to give some piece of advice to those who want to become polyglots, design a life that in which if you can't work with languages, at least design a life that allow, allows you to, um, to use these languages. I haven't even mentioned this, but I have a lot of friends from all parts of the world living in Rome and I travel a lot 
Not now, obviously, but normally, normal circumstances. So not, not only the micro environment, but also the macro environment. What I do outside allows me to practice and speak language. When we go out with all my friends, you know, in restaurants, I can speak French, German, all the languages. So it's just a, I've designed, I've chosen, uh, I've chosen to live this way, you know, this way. Um, and another thing that I would say that is really, really, really important is this. I do not know what happens in my head, but I can feel it. And I know for a fact that when you learn a language, you, you amass a certain amount of knowledge and skills, you form a, a language core that then is in your head. And once you have formed it, it's difficult for it to go away. But if you can't, if you learn a language for a little bit, let's say you're dabbling with a language and then you don't learn it anymore, it shrinks and it gets to almost zero. So you need to reach a certain threshold um, after which I am, I'm pretty sure, uh, Benny, that you felt this too, that after which you can actually maintain the language. It's easier to maintain. You get rusty, but you go back to it quite quickly. Well, if you don't reach that level, that language just goes back to, you know, vanishes in oblivion. That's so I always make sure that, as I said, going back to what I was saying before, I always learn languages when I start learning a language is because I want to reach a certain level after which I can start maintaining it, putting it in the back burner. The language is not going to go away and I can always go back to it. English, uh, Chinese and Japanese, I'm going to go back to to them in 2022. I'm not worried about it. I I, I would have a, a, a hard time speaking both languages right now just because I haven't spoken in a long time. But, I'm pre but I, I formed this core. So I can go back. I can always go back when the time comes. If I ever go to China or Japan, this is the first thing I'm going to do. Hit the books a few months before going there. So one of the questions that we always like to ask the guests that come on the podcast is, what is your definition of language hacking? Well, to me, language hacking is basically understanding how uh, the brain uh, learns. If I uh, could go back in time uh, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I've realized this by doing things. But I'm pretty sure that if I had this knowledge now, I would speed up um, you know, language learning uh, much faster. So I, I believe that one of the things that I would definitely invest on is understanding how your brain works, understanding what you like, investing and in experimenting, not only language learning, but in general. So um, question everything. This is something that my parents taught me to do. Question everything because what, what is being said around by many does not necessarily mean that it's true. It's not necessarily, does not necessarily mean it's good or it's true for you. So for me, language hacking is brain hacking, is understanding how your brain works. And by the surprising thing is that by understanding how to this level, to this depth, how language learning works, it's a door into the human mind. I've realized so many other things about how we acquire information, how we think, emotional intelligence. Um, there's so many things behind language learning. So language learning is great in and of itself, but it can teach you so many other life lessons that you can apply to other aspects of your life. Very good. And uh, one thing, of course, I'm sure people are very curious to hear about is uh, what are your upcoming plans with languages? I mean, obviously, we can't make travel plans right now, but do you have any any long term uh, things in mind or what is, what kind of things you're going to do to expand your coaching business, for instance? Oh, oh, there's a lot of a lot of things happening in the in the I, I can't I can't tell you all the details, but I'm working. I'm moving um, on towards um, creating courses. So um, 
I've been, I've been coaching for a long time, but I have a couple of important projects that I'm working on. And this year is going to be probably a breakthrough year uh, for me. So I'm pretty excited because I found a team. I mean, I've been working with this team for a couple of years, but now I found the right people and we're working really well. So I'm, I'm revolutionizing the way I am teaching. I, I like as much as I like teaching, I think that I can serve more people creating more products and, and things that, you know, I've been working on for a little bit. Um, I have given recently two live courses, group courses on Zoom that have been, you know, have gone very well. People are very happy and we're building upon that. So, and then um, I don't want to promise this because I've been talking about this book for a long time, but the other big project of the year should be to get the book out. You know, I've been talking about this. I, truth be told, I have uh, created a draft and, and I always remember the, the lesson, Benny, I think you said it somewhere that you have to start somewhere, right? You have to, you can create a version. You can always improve. Instead, we all have this perfectionism syndrome. Oh, I want to get the best book out. You know, when you do the first, something for the first time, it won't, won't be perfect, but then you can always improve. So courses and the, the book, these are the, the two projects I'm working on in 2021. Uh, and, um, and, you know, I'm very excited because uh, I'm pretty sure the things are going to be, they're going to go well. And the second thing, and when it comes to language learning, the other thing that I wanted to do, I don't know whether this is possible, uh, but it would be to go to Greece and uh, to spend one month in Greece at a school. I've never learned a language in a language school, so I want to try this. I've been learning Greek for four years, but I want to see, you know, creating a community. Uh, there's a lot of foreigners there coming to this island to learn in August or September. This is a, the la another language project that I, you know, apart from creating products and stuff, it's, it's for me, apart from the fact that Greece is beautiful, this is what I would like to, to do this summer. Um, if Mr. Corona allows us to, you know, travel. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's quite a lot of stuff you're working on. And I'm going to make sure in the show notes that people can find links to uh, your social media and your webpage so they can find out more information about all of that. And they can follow along to see how you do in all of these projects. So with that in mind, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for joining us today and for sharing your story with us. Thank you for inviting me. It was very interesting. All right. And then until the next time, we wish everybody a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. All right. At the end of each episode, Benny and I like to share something that we took away from our chat with our guest. And this is something that is usually immediately actionable, something that you can implement into your own language learning so that you can start playing around with different strategies, different methods, different resources, and see what it does for your language learning. So in this episode, I actually had a really hard time choosing just one takeaway. There were two that kind of stood out to me. And the first one was when working on pronunciation, just listening isn't enough. It's something that you deliberately need to work on. And I think that this is one of the things that we probably all know, but we kind of try to find a way to work around it. And so we just do a lot of listening and maybe do a little bit of shadowing, repeating what we're hearing, but we're not doing any focused pronunciation practice. So for me, the first takeaway would be to do more focused pronunciation practice. And the second thing was to question everything. 
And uh, for me, I think that really resonates because it's just not something that I do. I just kind of do things <laughs> and I don't actually take a moment to sit and think about why am I doing this? What is the purpose of doing this? Like, what else could I be doing? Is there something that could work better or anything like that? And especially for me, because I'm a creature of habit. So once I find something that works, I tend to just do it. I tend to stick with it. And I don't question if it's continuing to work for me or if there is something that else that I could be doing or if I should be changing what I'm doing. So those would be mine. What about you, Benny? Yeah, for me, uh, something along the lines of uh, similar to what he was saying about uh, question everything. He also mentioned earlier to not ignore your inner voice. And I know like in some senses, we, we talk about your inner voice being an inner critic, but in other senses, when it, it comes to your passion, there can be a lot of external demotivating factors for people that if they want to get into a language, they um, there might be somebody in their life who is discouraging them. And like we we touched on, you know, why would you learn Croatian? That's a waste of time. And that that kind of thing, somebody else might say that and that would get to you. Whereas, you know, in your heart, this is important to me. And I know all these people I want to talk to. I have so many plans for this language and I just really care about it. So in a lot of ways, it can be very important just to make sure you are following that inner voice and you're uh, embracing that you have a passion for this language and to not let these external demotivating factors to get to you because it can, it can start to feel like when other people are, are questioning your decisions or in Luca's case where he got pushed into a life direction that maybe he didn't want to do where languages were much more uh, central to his passion. Sometimes it is important to embrace that side of things. And I think uh, Luca really emphasized that. And I, I really like that as a takeaway today. All right. Thank you again so much for listening to the podcast. You can find all of the resources and topics mentioned in this episode in the notes section. And we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Again, if you enjoy the Language Hacking podcast, please leave us a review at languagehacking.com slash review. And until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.